Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfell. Well, we're continuing our series today, The Mysteries of Compassion. So turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 28, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Taking Up Our Cross and Following Jesus. You've probably heard it before. Someone says, you know, it's just a cross I have to bear. You know, when people say that, they remember the words of Jesus, but they apply those words in a very peculiar fashion. They usually mean that they have to bear up under very difficult circumstances. You know, bad marriage, painful illness, painful injury, difficult work situation, struggling with inadequate finances, uh, even though we're not to blame for it. I mean, these, at least as people imagine it, these are the crosses we have to bear. And then, of course, there are people who view cross-bearing as going without. So let's say, and there's nothing wrong with this, but let's say that during the period of Lent, you decide to go without something for several weeks. I mean, it might be, you know, the internet or chocolate or even giving yourself to fasting. You know, I say there's nothing wrong with it because the activity might remind you that your Savior voluntarily laid down his own life. And so voluntarily giving up something might remind you of the pain of self-denial, going without something that you really love. But giving up something for a period of time, well, that's not what Jesus was referring to as cross-bearing. Cross-bearing is not like fasting, and it's not like suffering through the unwanted pain that comes from living in a sin-cursed creation. Now, in our study of Matthew 16, we have seen Jesus elicit a response from the disciples. Who do you say I am, he asks, and Peter, always ready, steps to the fore. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And with that, Jesus starts to explain that he's building a church. The very foundation of his church are the very words that come from Peter's mouth. You're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. This is the starting place. This is the stone upon which the church is built. But the church will have a mission. Under the authority of their Messiah, the church will attack the gates of hell and rescue men and women from Satan's grasp and bring them into the dominion of Jesus. And then with these words, Jesus explains that he's about to go to Jerusalem. and He's going to suffer greatly and eventually be killed but he's going to rise from the dead. And as we saw yesterday, the disciples are left in shock. And so Peter's words, far be it from you, Lord, I I think it could also be loosely translated, may God be merciful to you, for this must not and shall not happen. I mean, the idea of a suffering Messiah whose death would be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, he, the perfect lamb slain for us, so that the angel of death would pass over us. I mean, these ideas Well, they were still not a part of the disciples' thinking. And so it was time to talk to the disciples about what lay ahead. Not only was Jesus to die in Jerusalem, but following his death and resurrection, there lay ahead of his disciples something that didn't look glorious at all. So we start reading in Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's remember Jesus' words against the background in which they were spoken. I'm going to Jerusalem, he tells his disciples, I'm going there to suffer and die. Now contrast those words with the words of John the Evangelist in Revelation 11 verse 8. He's speaking about Jerusalem and John writes, the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified. Those are interesting words. 
John says you can talk about Jerusalem in three ways. It's first a great city, but it can also be called Sodom, he says. And then it can also be called Egypt. A great city, well, that's a reflection about what the Bible says of it. Psalm 48, verse 2 calls Jerusalem the joy of the whole earth. That psalm says it is the city of the great king. Jerusalem is where Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac. It's where King David made his capital. It's it's the city where the temple of the one true and only God was built. It's also the place where the future Messiah is going to rule the world. This is the center of the world. But the greatness of Jerusalem is dulled in the present hour. It says John is also rightfully called Sodom. It's the city that worships sensuality, and it does so in a brazen fashion. Jerusalem has a history of idolatry. It has a history of evil kings. It's a a city of unimaginable rebellion against God. It's also called Egypt. Egypt represents slavery. And Jerusalem, throughout the teaching of her religious establishment, well, it bound people up through endless traditions and power structures and through a righteousness that was based on human works rather than on the grace of God. And by the way, those two options, that of sensuality, getting whatever you want, and then on the other hand, slavish duty to religious requirements in order to earn salvation. Well, those two options, they still enslave many people today. But for many people, those are the only two options they know. Yeah, to this Jerusalem, the city of promise and the city of rampant wickedness, Jesus was going to die. It just makes one dizzy. How could the Messiah go to Jerusalem to die? And yeah, the theologians of Jerusalem were happy to accommodate. If he's coming to die, well, maybe we can help out. We'd love to put that troublemaker to death. And as the day's disciples are trying to comprehend what Jesus is saying, he tells them about cross-bearing. What does he mean when he says that? Let me suggest that he means at least three things. First, according to verse 24, it means to deny yourself. Now, of course, that's not the only place in the Bible where the language of self-denial is used. For instance, Titus 2, 11 to 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Notice that as Paul works out the implications of self-denial, well, he speaks about renouncing ungodliness, renouncing worldly passions. We lay aside human ambition. We, We lay aside the craving for this world's glory. We renounce all things that are displeasing to God. And for any Christian, it means that we set our face against the sins of the flesh that we refuse to let them rule our lives. It, it, it means that we willingly take a place that is not the place of glory. That's what following Christ demands. We deny ourselves, cross-bearing. Secondly, Jesus says, we deny ourselves and then take up our cross. Of course, the cross was the Roman instrument of capital punishment. It was designed to utterly humiliate the victims. Before it put them to death, it left them in a protracted period of suffering. But as we know, Jesus submitted himself to the cross. He did it in active obedience to the Father. And that's what it must mean for us. Of course, we don't die for the sins of anyone like Jesus did. We we know that. We can, however, embrace suffering if that's what obedience to Christ entails. Self-denial willingly embracing whatever suffering that comes to us as a result of following Jesus. And then third, we must follow him. 
Now, to follow, that's to obey. It is to say the very words that Jesus spoke in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. We need to say the same things that Jesus said. I don't want my will, I want yours. We need to say with the young boy Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, and then whatever he says will do. If he says, forgive your enemy, the answer is, since that is your will, I will do it, Lord. If he commands, you must not commit adultery, indeed, you must not even give way to lust, simply say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. If he says, don't lay up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, then say, if you command it, Lord, I will do it. So that's it. Deny yourself of the entrapments of self-indulgence. Embrace suffering. Set your heart fully on obedience to all that Christ commands, no matter how hard and no matter the cost. Here's the problem. World is filled with people who don't do that. They never pick up the cross. I mean, who willfully embraces suffering? I mean, after all, if it comes, well, you know, what can we do? And if we know God, we can trust him in our sufferings. And of course, all of that should be done. If suffering comes, that's exactly what we must do in trust our lives to God. But who willingly chooses a hard and narrow path? I mean, who chooses sacrificial giving? Who chooses to say no to sin that no one ever sees or condemns us for? Who chooses to actively forgive those who do evil against us? Who chooses to make Christ known in an environment that might cost you your job or your freedom or your reputation? I mean, who does any of that? Now, just to be sure, I'm not saying that those who say, I don't wish to do what Jesus asks here, I'm not saying they're out of the ordinary at all. It would have been hard for the disciples to hear this. It's hard for us to hear it as well. We also know that the 11, that is the disciples minus Judas, all of them chose to do exactly what Jesus asked for them, and it cost all of them their lives, with the exception of John. And so ask again, why, why would everyone do this? The answer to that question of why is important for anyone who contemplates the command of Jesus. Hi, this is Joshua from InDoubt, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. Every week, InDoubt invites young adults into a conversation about the very real and challenging questions of faith, life, and culture. Our goal is to confront life's issues with the help of guest pastors and Christian leaders and to dive into the Bible to discover its truth and relevance for living life as a follower of Jesus. Join myself, Daniel, or Isaac every week along with special guests from around the globe to discuss things that matter most to you. Our hope is to reach not only the young adult who stands firm in their faith, but also the one who has questions or doubts. In Doubt can be heard through our podcast, mobile app, or on radio, and you can check out all of our programs and resources at indoubt.ca. In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada and possible only through the generous gifts of those who share our heart to engage a new generation with the Bible. For more information, or if you would like to support In Doubt with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit indoubt.ca. There's an older hymn we used to sing in church, and this one is entitled, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? It was written by one of the greatest hymn writers of the church. His name was Isaac Watts. The second verse of the hymn asks, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? 
And then two verses later, Watts has us sing the response to the question we've just asked. That is, am I actually a soldier of the cross? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain supported by thy word. And then not being done with the theme, the hymn goes on. Thy saints in all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They view the triumph from afar and seize it with their eye. It's a theme of warfare, of course. And it fits well with Jesus' teaching to his disciples. I'm going to build my church in the heart of the world's pagan systems. And the church will fight the devil and bash his front door down. But the cost of the warfare will feel like it's an appalling cost indeed. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die, and now he's telling his disciples that they must pick up the cross. And in that day, picking up the cross, whatever else it might mean, would mean suffering and humiliation and eventually death. Deny yourself, said Jesus. Pick up your cross and then follow me because I'm your commander-in-chief in this battle. And your task is to carry out my orders and to pay the price that I demand of you. How different this sounds than, than the gospel that so many of us have come to believe in this age. It's the gospel that says that Jesus is here to help us get rich and to make all our personal dreams in this world come true. Philippians 1.29, in contrast, says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he spoke of hardship and afflictions and beatings and imprisonments, sleepless nights and even hunger. That's the cost of bashing down the gates of hell. The devil fights back in fury. However, Revelation 12, 11 says of the church, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. This is going to cost you dearly. Now look, every human being has a natural impulse. It's, it's called acting in our own self-interest. That's why the gospel of having your best life now through Jesus is so attractive to so many of us. And it turns out, says the prosperity preachers, Jesus wants to give you what you most want in your life. So what do you want? Well, we want to prosper. We, we want to accomplish something. We want our lives to matter in this world. We want the applause of others. We, we want to live free from anxiety. We, we want to be free from financial worry. And, and my goodness, we want to be a sex symbol. We want to be free from pain and illness and persecution. And we want to be able to pursue the desires of our hearts in this world. And instead of promising any of that, Jesus promises warfare, one that will involve what Isaac Watts said so well, is like sailing through bloody seas. Who in the world would sign up for that? Well, Jesus gives his disciples four reasons for signing up. Let's read Matthew 16, 25 to 28. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. See, I see in this passage four reasons for joining Jesus in mission. But before I give these reasons, please be aware that we have countless examples of self-denial in our world. I mean, here's an example. Let's say you want a career rather than simply working for whatever job comes up for the rest of your life. 
And so inspired by the wisdom of Proverbs, you know, Proverbs 22, 29. You see a man skillful in his work, he will stand before kings, he will not stand before obscure men. So in order to gain skill and to stand before prominent people, in order to strive for excellence, well, you go to a university or a specialized trade school, institute of technology somewhere. And so while your friends are out and they're enjoying themselves, you lock yourself away. You're studying, you're learning discipline, and it seems painful. But you aren't doing it for the sake of suffering. You have an outcome in mind. You have a reward that will come to you because of this. It's like that with anyone who strives for a better outcome. I mean, you talk to an excellent musician and that person is going to tell you of endless hours of practice while others were taking it easy. I mean, I could I go on and on with examples of this. And so do these examples work when it comes to the call of Jesus? Well, yes, yes, they do. I'm going to give you four reasons why people pick up their cross and follow Jesus into mission and sail through bloody seas. Reason number one, verse 25. Jesus said that whoever would save his life will lose it. Here's a paradox. If you want to find your life, that is, if you look for a richer, happier life in this world, if you live for life, lived for yourself, you're going to lose everything that you've sought for. You know that bucket list that you have? How many of you know it's not what you're planning for in the world to come, is it? It's about what you can get in this world, isn't it? How's that going to end for you? It's going to end by you losing everything that you had wanted. Choose to put self first and you will lose yourself first. Okay, reason number two. What will it profit anyone if you succeed in all your ambitions and in the end, you lose your own soul? Was Jesus thinking here of the offer that the devil had once made to him? You know, bow down and worship me. I'm going to give you this world. Here's what I'd say. The devil makes that offer to all of us today. I'll give you the good life, but you're going to have to take my bargain to get it. And then when this life is done, for as you know, it's only a short time now when eternity will begin, you're going to rue that bargain that you made with the devil for eternal ages. Reason number three, verse 27. The time is coming when the Son of Man returns and he will repay each person according to what he's done. Now, there are those who worry that verse 27 seems like the doctrine of works. That is, Jesus is going to judge us by what we've done. I mean, I thought I was judged by the free grace that comes in the gospel. Well, the answer to that conundrum should be obvious. The person who's willing to abandon everything to join our Lord in warfare, that person is the person who believes in Jesus. This world is coming to an end. For all who believe in me, says Jesus, I reserve an eternal reward. Do you believe me when I tell you to risk everything on the truth of what I'm saying? See, here's an example. Let's say you don't have a pension plan that's attached to your work. If you want to make it when you retire, you're going to have to invest your money starting now. And so each month you're going to have to take a certain amount. Let's say it's, you know, 10 to 15% of your paycheck and you're going to have to put it into an investment. And you say, wait a minute. You're saying I should give up a part of my income into something that I'm not going to see until I retire? I mean, what if I don't live that long? And yet, there are all sorts of people who are doing this very thing all the time. They're denying themselves today, believing that there's a payoff coming in the later years. Would you forego this world for the one to come? Well, now, does all depends, doesn't it? It depends on whether or not you think the promise of Jesus is true, 
See, all that talk of eternity and and reigning with Jesus over all the works of his hands, you think that's true? Or is that an illusion? Oh, yeah. If it's not true, following Jesus into the bloody seas, that's a wasted life. But if it's true, it's the only investment you can make. So what are you going to do? Well, what you're going to do depends on what you believe. It depends on faith. All of our deeds are a demonstration of our faith. And then reason number four for taking up the cross. Verse 27 again, the Lord will repay each person for what he has done. That is, Jesus remembers every act of self-denial for the sake of the gospel. Your church might not remember. Your pastor might not remember. Your mission board might not remember. Your dearest friend might not remember. But the Lord your God remembers. His reward is a good reward. I mean, how often did Jesus say, great is your reward in heaven? Hang in there. Your reward is waiting. And then having given this motivation for taking the life he offers, Jesus adds a final statement. Some of you will not face death until the Son of Man comes in his kingdom. Now, we know that doesn't refer to the second coming. So what is Jesus saying? Here's what I think he's saying. Some of those standing with him will not taste death until they see the gospel of Jesus proclaimed throughout the entire Roman Empire and a rich harvest of men and women beginning to crowd into the kingdom. You're going to see success in the battle, says Jesus. So how about you? You think Jesus was mistaken when he offered you this marvelous offer of the kingdom to come? Well, if you think he was right, go out and act accordingly. Thanks, John. That's an important message. Let me ask you this personal question, though. Can you reflect back on a time where you said, this is a time when Jesus asked me to carry a cross? Ben, I think I, I, I can't. I suppose a number of answers can be given, but one answer that I can give to that, um, I remember I was in pastoral ministry for some time, and you know, pastoral ministry comes with strains and criticisms and all sorts of things. And then for a, a number of years, I had taught in a, in a Bible college, and I really loved it. And I still remember the day in which I heard the voice of the Lord saying, you need to go back. And I remember saying to the Lord, oh, man, I, <laughs> I don't know whether I want to go through that again. And I just simply said, Lord, if this is what it means to follow you, I will do it regardless of the criticism. Now, it seems like a small thing, um, but I do think it's something that Christ has called upon me to do. And, and I've embraced that. It's his will for my life. Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, The Mysteries of Compassion, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, this is Dr. John Newfeld. In the past five years, I found myself in a ministry role I would never have imagined. At first, I have to admit, the move from pastor to sitting in a studio behind a microphone, well, it seems strange. But over time, having heard firsthand stories of God at work, I could have not been more convinced I'm right where God wants me to be. Thank you for your kindness and encouragement and supporting this ministry with your gifts and prayers. In gratitude, I want to send you a gift, my newest series, Faith and What We Hope For, and a special edition of our 2020 Highlight Reel series. Five of my most requested messages from the past five years are in that one package. It's just a modest way of saying thanks for being with me. So call today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca and request Faith in What We Hope For and we'll automatically send you our 2020 Highlight Reel series. 
It's my gift and it's free. Please continue to stand with us in 2020.